Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Hey, good morning, New Covenant. Don't know uh, how many of y'all are football fans, but it was interesting that last night, tens of thousands of people sat together in a stadium that registered at negative 27 with wind chill factor in Kansas City, Missouri, while the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Miami Dolphins. And I'm thinking, man, the Chiefs mean a lot to the people of Kansas City. What if Jesus meant that much to us? What would our worship services look like? Because that was really a worship service yesterday, ultimately. It's going to happen again today. There's another game at like two and at six and tens of thousands of people will pack into a stadium. Hundreds of thousands around the world will watch it. And really, it's a worship service. People are singing the praises of particular teams. They're dressing themselves up for it. They're preparing food for it. They're gathering people together for it. And listen, we serve a God who is the ultimate chief. We serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We serve the creator of the universe. Should we not be so much more excited about Jesus than Kansas City, Missouri is about the Chiefs or whatever team it is that's playing? So uh, not just to conjure up emotion, we should generally be excited about who Jesus is. And then people should see that when we leave this place. It should radically affect who we are. So starting last week, we started in the book of Daniel and we looked at four young men that were fired up about who God is, so much so to the point that regardless of what happened to them, regardless of where they got drug off to, regardless of what situation or circumstance they got thrown into, they decided, I'm going to worship Yahweh, I'm going to worship the God of the universe, I'm going to worship the God of the Bible, no matter what it costs me. Now you got to begin to wonder, maybe at least just a little bit, why Daniel and his three buddies who loved the Lord got put in such a rough situation in such a rough circumstance. Such great parallels to what happens to believers in the world today. Maybe even some of y'all, you're wondering, why is life going the way it is? When I love Jesus, I keep serving him. Well, I found at least three answers in the book of Daniel as to why he and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah got thrust into the situation they're in. Number one, it was the sin of evil people. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to suffer the consequences of the evil that is around us. So the sin of other evil people around them. Secondly, the sin of their own people. Remember, they had been warned that this was going to happen. The nation of Israel had been warned by at least four other prophets that were contemporaries of Daniel. They had Ezekiel, they had Habakkuk, they had Jeremiah, and they had Zephaniah all come along and tell them, if you don't stop in your sexual immorality, if you don't stop your idolatry, and turn around and worship the one true God, a ransacking is coming. Um, But here's the third reason it happened to him. God planned it out that way so he'd get glory. This is one that sometimes we don't like. You're telling me that God might place me in a rough situation? God might actually place me in in a position of having to suffer a little bit so that he gets glory? And the answer to that is yes. Sometimes he does. God had already designed before the foundation of the world that this event in 605 BC was actually going to take place. Now, Daniel and his three buddies may not have even seen 
just how much of a radical impact their following after Yahweh was going to have. But do you all remember our Christmas Eve message? you all remember the message on the wise men? How was it that astrologers that came from Babylon, pagan astrologers that are worshiping false gods, end up showing up at the house where Jesus was when he was about a year to two years old, bowing down and worshiping him when they should have been worshiping all these false gods and doing the astrology of the stars? How did it get to that point? Well, we believe that a lot of it had to do with Daniel and his buddies getting ransacked, brought to Babylon, and then having a radical impact in the lives of the wise men. Don't underestimate what a life that follows after Jesus could do. Don't underestimate the trickle-down effect. Daniel is not just some made-up mythological story. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah aren't just three made-up teenagers. They were real people that at the age of 14 probably had their own struggles, doubts, and battles in their mind with what was going on around them. However, they had decided apparently at a very early age they were going to worship the Lord no matter what because he was their king. So speaking of the king... Would you all mind standing with me in honor of the king as we read Daniel chapter 1? We got verses 8 through 21 this week. We're going to round out the first chapter of Daniel, and we are flying by the end of May. We are going to be done with the entire book. So here we go, Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom." And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Gang, you can have a seat. So we're looking at how to defeat the seduction of society. This is our second part. And after reading the first part of the passage last week, the second half this week, here is our one overarching lesson idea that I'm praying we walk away with and that we are going to unpack this week. But it's simply this. God's children have purposefully been placed in Babylon to testify to his glory and grace so that God might be glorified amongst the evil, the idolatrous, and the immoral. Again, that might be hard for some of us to swallow, but if you would, go back with me to Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. Notice the first four words of verse 2. And the Lord gave. Did you see that? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels 
of the house of God. God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what was happening. It didn't take him by surprise. And so God had put this evil king and then those that were underneath him in a position that they probably didn't want to be in, but God had plans for it. He already knew how he was going to use it. Sometimes you may wonder, how in the world am I supposed to live up underneath the evil that we see in our culture today? I won't get all completely political on you right now, but if we take a look at those that are reigning and in power, even in our own nation right now, there's a lot of evil going on. We don't need to slander people. We won't say bad things about our president or our vice president or our governors or our mayors. We will simply look at action. We will simply look at mandates and laws that are placed into our midst through some of these people and recognize that they are directly against the word of God and now we are stuck underneath that leadership. The question is how do I as a believer in Jesus deal with that? With the seductions of society and the tactics of the world how do I live underneath that as one that still honors the Lord Jesus? And really, there's two things we're going to unpack this morning as to how we do that. Here's the first. It's found back in verse 8, if you look with me. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Here's the first thing. Resolve in your heart to honor the Lord in small things so that you're able to honor the Lord in big things. Did you know that where you're at today in your walk with Jesus is a result of multiple small choices that you have made throughout your life? This is why I think it is so important that right now we fight for the hearts and the minds of our kids. Somebody is constantly fighting for their hearts and their minds. Fight for your own heart and mind. If we're going to invest in our kids and the youth in our generation, what about us? Have we resolved in our hearts that I am going to honor the Lord no matter what? I find it fascinating that when you go to a place like Yosemite or Redwood National Park and you see the size and the immensity of some of the trees that are there, then you find out what it is that they grew from. These tiny little acorns that get placed into the ground and you get these trees that are hundreds of feet tall and thousands of pounds in weight completely reminds me of how the little decisions that we make day by day can become immense and really ultimately become who we are. When it comes to Daniel and his buddies, we began to get into this last week. Why of all things was the food such an issue? Remember, they had their names changed. They got forced to study literature and the religion of the Chaldeans, but when it came to actually intaking the food, what was the problem? Well, there's at least three that I can see from studying scripture. First, they wouldn't have been prepared according to kosher law, according to Jewish kosher law. Now, Daniel wasn't a legalist. He knew that his salvation was not dependent upon what he did or following laws. In fact, all of the laws that God had written was simply to the point to the holiness of God, the unholiness of man, and our desperate need for a savior. Daniel realized that. But he also realized something else. If I'm a follower of God, my life should display that. I will tell you the one thing that probably drives me nuts more than anything else in society today as a pastor and dealing with other pastors is duplicity. The duplicity of lives that are lived amongst believers and especially those that are pastors and in positions of leadership. Saying one thing and doing another is one of the biggest reasons that people want nothing to do with Jesus. 
So I would pray that we don't live duplistic type lives. Daniel had decided in his heart and in his mind that yes, I know I'm not saved by keeping laws, but I'm still going to obey God's commandments because I love him. Listen to the difference. I obey God's commandments and laws. I obey his word not to be loved by him, but because I already am. And I want the rest of the world to know that. Secondly, all the wine and the meat that Daniel would have been eating would have almost definitely been sacrificed to false gods. And he didn't want to engage in that. He set himself apart from what the rest of the world was doing. And then thirdly, Daniel also knew that if he shared a meal at the king's table, he was giving tacit endorsement to the king's values. Listen, we don't have to be jerks to push back on some of the things that come our way as people. I'm not trying to purposefully rile people up or stir the pot, but there are things that have come our direction as churches in the past that we have to be aware of. If they go against God's word, we don't have to be jerks in how we respond, but we need to follow God above man. I'll get more into that in just a moment. There's this little saying that says you can't climb the ladder while you're rocking the boat. I pray that our goal is not to climb the ladder. I pray that our goal is to honor the Lord Jesus, and in doing so, we might have to rock the boat just a little bit. Daniel and his buddies had to rock the boat a little bit. Well, they didn't have to. They could have actually done what a lot of their countrymen did and just went along with it. In fact, let me take the negative side of what they could have done. They could have said, well, after all, we're so far away from home, we're 700 miles removed from home, nobody's going to know the difference. Or they could have said, everybody else is doing it. So why not just eat the food like everybody else? Or they could have said, we're already in captivity. What difference does it make? Or they could have made up the excuse, God will understand. It's just a little eating of some food that's sacrificed to idols. And how many of us have been there before? Nobody will see it. It's just a little bit of internet pornography. It's just a little lustful thought in my head. It's just a little bit of greed. It's just a little bit of fudging numbers on my taxes. Nobody's ever going to know the difference. Those are the things that we could say. In fact, we can always find an excuse to live in our sin if we really want to. You ever notice as human beings, ever since sin entered the world, we're really good at justifying what we've done? Well, it's not nearly as bad as that guy over there. But remember, here's the crazy thing about the Lord. He doesn't grade on a curve. He grades on a cross. And so my job and goal is to be as much like Christ, not as the guy next to me, as I possibly can. Man, that changes everything when it comes to how I live my life. Now, when it comes to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they tried everything they could. The Babylonians did everything they could to change them. Like, we're going to change your diet. We're going to change your location. We're going to change your education. We're going to change your language. We're even going to change your name. But the one thing they couldn't do is change their heart because their heart was completely dedicated to the Lord. Do you know that there's still hope for our young people that are thrust into the midst of a mess and being indoctrinated with falsehoods? Because if, if as parents, as pastors, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, we can get a hold of the hearts of that, that generation, which again, remember, that means that our hearts have to be captivated by the Lord, then nobody can change them. Let me take you to the biggest part of our passage, and it's our second principle for living a life that doesn't get seduced by the seductions of the world or, or get attacked by the tactics of the world. Stick with me. We're going to read it again. 
I know it's a little bit long, but we can't read the word of God too much. Verses 9 through 21 says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Why? That goes back to verse 8. He resolved in his heart he wouldn't defile himself. Verse 10, the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Let me stop there for a minute. Do you notice that man is more afraid of man than they are of God? What if, just what if, our church body got to the point where we so revere or are so in awe of Jesus that what mankind thinks, says, or does to us makes no difference in the world any longer? What if we got to that point? How different would we be? Verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus." What we see here are the results of an uncompromising life. We got four young men, at least, that said, I will not compromise in how I live my life. And that resulted in at least four different things that we're about to take a look at right now. Beginning in verse 8, we see that an uncompromising life results in courage. It's a courage that can only come from knowing the God of the universe. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again. Your theology will dictate your behavior. In other words, depending on how big you think God is, that will radically affect the way that you live your life. Let me give you an example from another prophet. Back in the 700s BC, a man by the name of Isaiah was called out to go and preach to the nation of Israel and tell them, if you don't stop in your idolatry and you don't stop in your immorality and your heinous way of living... I'm going to send the Assyrians to attack you and ransack you. That was Isaiah's job. Go tell your fellow countrymen. Well, here's what Isaiah knew. If I do, they'll probably kill me. So thanks, Lord, for the job offer, but no thanks. To which God responded, that's not good enough. I've called you. I'm planning on using you. So you need to go out and serve me. To show you that I am big enough to do exactly what I said I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a little glimpse of my glory. Go to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, if you would. While you're turning to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and we're getting ready to take a look at the glimpse that Isaiah got of God's majesty and glory, let me ask you, how big is your God? Have you looked around at the majesty and the glory of God? We love to talk about this around here, but if you look through the microscope at, say, DNA or a cell, 
or the microscopic world that God has created, or you look through a telescope and you look out into the stars and you see the literal, literally billions of stars, galaxies, and planets that exist that point to the glory and the goodness of God, how could you not look around and just be completely amazed at how big God is? And then once you realize how big God is and what he was able to do by simply speaking it into existence, that begins to beg the question, what in the world do we have to fear? Remember, what's the worst thing that man can do to you? The worst. What's the worst thing mankind could do to you? Kill you. That's our ticket to going and being with the Lord forever. That's our ticket to glory. So the worst thing that mankind could do to me is bless me with a gift. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be around for a while. I'd love to see my girls get married. I'd love to spend as much time with my wife as I can before we go and be with the Lord. But if the Lord says today is it, this is your number, man, it's not goodbye. You know what it is? Hey, Dave, see you later. It's never goodbye for believers. That's the cool thing. So Isaiah, he gets this glimpse of how big God is. Check it out. It's Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This was written about a hundred years, a little over a hundred years, before Daniel would have been taken into captivity. Undoubtedly, he would have known the book of Isaiah. He would have been able to read a little bit of the glimpse that Isaiah got to catch of the awe that he had of God. There are at least three things that I noted, just in part of my time with the Lord and studying through this passage that Isaiah would have seen, that Daniel would have read about and recognized, three things that would have brought them great courage amongst a very corrupt generation and a very corrupt government. First, they would have seen the absolute awesomeness of God. His glory was filling the temple. Again, this is just a glimpse of God's veiled glory, but they get this little taste of the sheer awesomeness and magnitude of God. And it caused them both to live a radically different life. The second thing that they would have noticed, don't bypass this, God is seated on the throne. I think at times we read passages and we just breeze through certain words. God is seated on the throne. There is something very significant about God being seated. Now, he does not have a physical body. God the Father is spirit, but he gets a glimpse. Isaiah gets this glimpse, a theophany of God seated on the throne. Seated means that he is settled and that he is secure. He's not wringing his hands. He's not pacing back and forth wondering, man, how am I going to deal with these Assyrians? What am I going to do about these Babylonians? I don't know how I'm going to handle this. He is settled and he is secure. Now, for those of you that are followers of Jesus sitting in this room, that means that the day that you begun a relationship with him, he took up residence in your life. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Prior to that, Jesus had told them, he who is in you is greater than the one of this world. This means that while we are not God, 
since the God of the universe is walking with us and walking us through all the garbage, we can be seated, settled, and secure. Doesn't matter what happens around us. Health-wise, doesn't matter. Politically, doesn't matter. Socially, doesn't matter because the God of the universe is the one that has us seated, settled, and secured in who he is. And then lastly, verse 7 is fascinating. In verse 5, Isaiah had just said, I'm doomed. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and yet I have just seen the Lord of hosts. I'm doomed. I have no reason to even be alive. Lord, just take me now. And instead, this angel comes, and it says, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Do you know why Isaiah was able to be seated, settled, and secure? Because of what God came and did in his life that he could not do for himself. Again, notice what Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm doomed, because I am in my sin. Not a lot of people say that today. In fact, not long ago, I was talking to a guy in the gym about our need for Jesus, our desperate need for him. He looked at me and he said, well, that's good for you, but I don't need this Jesus stuff. When I stand before God, I'll do it on my own merit. But he was very brash in how he came across, to which I responded, I'd be careful with that. And here's why. And I started asking him some questions. I said, do you know the Ten Commandments? Oh, yeah, everybody knows the Ten Commandments. Like, I don't know all of them, but I know most of them. I'm like, okay, well, you know, they're, they're, let me just run through a few with you real quick if I may. One of the Ten Commandments says, thou shall not lie. Have you ever told a lie? I love going through this with people. Well, of course, everybody's lied. Okay, well, what does that make you? Well, I guess a liar, but nobody wants to say it, right? So there's another commandment that says, thou shall not steal. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, yeah, but nothing big. Okay, but it doesn't matter. It's not about the size. It's about the fact that you did it. I'm like, so you've stolen things before. What does that make you? Well, people that steal things are thieves, but I'm not a constant thief. No, but you've stolen in the past, so, so you are a thief. Okay, yeah, whatever. You ever use God's name in vain, like swore on his name when his name is not meant to be used to swear on something or to make an oath upon? Well, yeah, I just did that the other day. Okay, you know what Jesus said? Jesus, that makes you a blasphemer. Let's just go for one more. You ever looked at a woman with lust? Well, have you seen some of the girls in the gym? Okay. So you're saying you've lusted before for somebody that's not your spouse. Jesus said that makes you an adulterer. All right, so far you're only at four out of ten. You're a lying, thieving, blaspheming adulterer. And you're going to stand before God and tell him, I'm fine on my own merit. To which he basically responded that he was done with the conversation. I won't tell you how he responded. And then that was the end of that conversation. But it got the point across that I am in desperate need of God making me right because I cannot make myself right. But once he does, I am now fully equipped, not because of who I am, but because of who he is taking up residence in my life. We are now fully equipped to go out and do the work of the ministry so that we can see people come to know Jesus and trust him for all that he is. Here's why I bring that up again. Don't forget what we studied on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve was about the wise men, astrologers that came from Babylon that were worshiping false gods. How in the world did they get to the point where they showed up at the house where Jesus was at about the age of one or two years old and started worshiping him? That should have never happened. How did that happen? We think 
Historically, it's because Daniel and his three buddies and a bunch of others got drugged 700 miles from their home to Babylon. They were there undoubtedly sharing the good news of the coming Messiah, sharing the gospel message of Yahweh, and that in turn pushed some of these astrologers to start to to worship the Lord and study his word. All of a sudden, they show up, and of all the people that shouldn't have been worshiping Jesus, show up and worship Jesus. Don't underestimate the trickle effect of somebody that loves Jesus. Don't underestimate the time that you spend in God's word on that dreaded Monday morning tomorrow when you sit there and you pray and you praise him. Don't underestimate the difference that that could make. Okay, I got to continue on. Back in Daniel chapter 1. Notice in verse 8 that after Daniel resolves in his heart not to defile himself, it says, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. An uncompromising life will result not only in courage, but in courtesy. We don't have to be jerks when we say no to something that somebody in authority tries to execute when it is not biblical. Listen, again, I'm not trying to stir the pot or rile people up or tell you to tell the government to go stick it because we won't do that. We are going to pray for our president and our vice president and our mayors and our governors. We're going to pray for them. We're going to be respectful to them. We're not going to slander them. We're not going to say nasty things about them in person or on Instagram or Facebook or anything else. But I will always honor my higher authority first. So if the governing authorities, the man-made authorities, come in and try to institute something, and again, I'm not trying to rile things up just to rile things up. But if a mandate were to come in to say, y'all can't gather together to worship anymore, I would have to do what Daniel did and respectfully, without slandering them, say, the word of God has called us to worship him together as brothers and sisters in Christ, not with an if clause and not if somebody else comes in with a mandate, but we're going to worship the Lord. The word of God tells me that I'm supposed to go out and share Jesus anywhere and everywhere, even if it's suddenly illegal to carry a Bible into some of those places, which, by the way, in more places in the world, it's actually illegal to carry a Bible than not, but we just don't see it in our neck of the woods. What if it suddenly becomes illegal for our kids to carry a Bible onto their school campuses? What do you do? I will tell you what my family does, what we do. We tell our kids that your first authority is always God Almighty himself, and we are called to take his word to every area of the planet we go. And we cannot give hell, we cannot give Satan, we cannot give the world a foothold. And again, we don't have to be jerks when we do it. We just have to lovingly and respectfully look at somebody that's in that position and say, you know what, I, I, I love you and I pray for you but I love and respect the king of the universe even more, so therefore I will still be carrying my Bible. If you have to arrest me for that, then you have to arrest me. If I'm going to be killed for that, then may I be killed. But I have to honor the Lord. I'm going to remind you all something I reminded first service. Do you know life is short? Do you know that even if you make it to the average lifespan of 85 years, the Bible says life is like a vapor. One minute it's here, and the next minute it's gone. I hit 48 years old just a couple weeks ago. I got a kid that's 20 in college, another one that's 16 and a half, going to go away to college. And I'm looking back going, how in the world 
did that happen? Any of y'all sitting in the room more chronologically advanced than 48? (laughs) Any of y'all look back and go, how in the world did that happen? Well, I'll tell you what. Before we know it, we're going to be with the Lord in heaven, and so many of the things that happened here aren't going to matter, and it's going to be before we know it. I know this may seem crazy, but did you know that eternity is longer than 85 years? And we're going to be with the Lord forever. Daniel knew that, which resulted in the third thing when it comes to an uncompromising life, and that is his conviction. Daniel adopted an extremely high standard against all forms of evil. Why? Because he was convinced that the one thing that he was created to do was to glorify God. Even if it cost him, he was going to glorify God. We're going to see this as we go throughout the book of Daniel over the next five months, but Daniel was committed in his thought life, Daniel was committed in his words, and Daniel was committed in his actions to honor the Lord no matter what. Daniel was committed to having his mind transformed by the word of God so that he would be not, wouldn't be conformed or squeezed into the mold of the world. Which again is why tomorrow morning when you wake up on Monday, your time with the Lord alone in prayer and studying his word is just as vitally important as it is when we get together on a Sunday morning. Because that thought process that I start the day with is radically going to affect what comes out of my mouth and it's going to radically affect the way I live. And then thirdly and lastly for this morning, look with me at the very last verse of Daniel chapter 1. It says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, if I go back to verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 1 is 605 B.C. Verse 21, the end of chapter 1, is 539 B.C. That means how many years have passed since since King Cyrus comes on the scene? Well, we're at quite a few decades, like almost seven at this point. We're getting close to the end of captivity for the Babylonians. Daniel's life resulted in consistency. His life was consistently one that honored and worshiped the Lord. I had alluded to something earlier. Duplicity is killing us as believers in Jesus. I am so frustrated with pastors that stand in pulpits and portray one type of life and then live a completely different one. And it's causing people to go, well, if the very people that are preaching this word of God that y'all say you believe in, this Jesus y'all say you believe in, and they're not even living it, why should I? And by the way, I'm not the only one on the hook. It's for all of us as believers in Jesus, because we're doing life together. If we say that we believe this, and then we live this lifestyle over here, no wonder the world wants nothing to do with Jesus. Okay, I felt like a parent for a moment there. So don't take that as a kids are being chastised moment. It's just an encouragement for all of us that the world is going to know about as much about Jesus as we share and portray. Because most of the world is not picking up a Bible tomorrow morning when they wake up and not spending time in prayer. Most of the world is not showing up 52 times a year on Sunday mornings to worship the Lord. Most of the world is not watching entertainment that is honoring and glorifying the Lord or listening to music that is doing such. So we as believers have got to get out into Babylon and start to share the good news of the gospel message. Are we ready to do it? Are we ready to be those people that nobody has a problem looking at us and going, I, I know you're a Christian? 
In fact, I think one of the, the, I don't know if you want to call it an insult, but one of the biggest insults I could possibly get is if somebody was to look at me, say after meeting them a year ago and go, oh wow, all this time, I, I never knew you were a Christian. I pray that that would never be the case. Let me close with an illustration of a man that wrote something that I love. He was a pastor in Africa years ago who was killed at the hands of the Muslim regime for his faith in Jesus and for carrying a Bible. He wrote this poem called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. I love this. Listen to this. Tell me if this doesn't at least get you semi-fired up, like hopefully a little bit more than even Kansas City was for the Chiefs. Listen to this, the fellowship of the unashamed. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, Worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up till I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Amen? May that be us as a church. May we be a body of believers that are just like Daniel and his three friends. May we show our true colors, and may nobody ever have to wonder, I wonder if that guy, I wonder if that girl loves Jesus. They should have no doubt in their minds. Let me close this morning with a final reminder. It was our big idea of the day. Did you know that we have purposefully been placed in Babylon? Let's replace that. Did you know that you have purposefully been placed in Albuquerque? to testify to the glory and grace of God so that he might be glorified, even amongst the evil, the idolatrous, and the immoral. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you, and we are thankful, Lord, that you have placed us um, in our own Babylon. You have placed us in a community. You have put us in a society that desperately needs you, and so may we be people that share you, regardless of whether we come across people that are evil idolatrous, immoral, maybe even just indifferent. May we just share the good news of who you are. May we be fully convinced that your word is the word of God. May we be fully convinced that Jesus, you are the living word, you are God in flesh. Continue to remind us of your power, remind us of your goodness, remind us of your grace, remind us that there is nowhere we can go that you aren't already there. Remind us that regardless of what happens at this point in time, that you are beyond time. You already knew what was going to happen since the foundation of the world. And so, Lord, we can take confidence in that. 
we can sit, be settled, and be secure in knowing that you are the creator of the universe and that there is nothing that takes you by surprise. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning that you have given to us. Thank you for a new year that you've given to us to bring you honor and glory. And while we don't know how many more days or years you may give us, we do know that whatever moments you've given us, you've given us those so that we would would bring you honor and glory. May we do that, not only today or tomorrow or this week, but for all the rest of the days of our lives. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we all pray together. Amen. Gang, just as a reminder, when you're leaving, two really important things. Number one, um, their small group expo is still going on. So one of the ways that we gather together and we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus is we break off into smaller segments throughout the week together. We grow in his word. And secondly, I hope I'm not leading you astray, but I think there's still a bunch of leftover caffeine. Get it, get yourself fueled, use it so that you have energy to go tell people about Jesus. All right, gang, have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.